Welcome to All Angles. My name is Andrew Thomas. Welcome back. Today I am sitting with David Hicks and Aaron Williams. David is the Chief Communications Officer for a public school district in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He oversees external and internal communication efforts, coordinates media relations, and handles public relations and marketing strategies for the school district. He has worked in the field of school public relations since 2010, and he was named to the 35 Under 35 Emerging Leaders Program by the National School Public Relations Association. He earned his master's degree at the University of Alabama in 2019 and his bachelor's from the University of North Texas. David likes to spend his time with his wife and two-year-old daughter, and he enjoys watching his favorite sports team, Liverpool. Dr. Aaron Williams is the executive director of a leadership development for a suburban public school district south of Dallas-Fort Worth. Aaron serves as a coach and facilitates the professional growth and leadership of schools and campus leaders in his role. Part of a larger effort to build out talent pipelines for systems change within his school district. Aaron completed his doctorate in entrepreneurial leadership in education at the John Hopkins University in 2018, where he published research on systematic barriers to gifted and talented identification and services for students from social economically disadvantaged backgrounds. Aaron lives in Dallas with his husband and their three dogs. Aaron continues to spend his free time as a musician and started, but not always finishes projects around the house. Thank you guys for joining me today for this conversation. Absolutely, thanks for having us, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. Of course. Well, as I like to get started with each of, each of these episodes, I want to get to know you guys a little bit better. So my question for you is, what would your younger self not believe about your life today? You want me to take that one first, Mary? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I would say that uh, when I was a young man, uh, when I was in college and shortly thereafter, I had absolutely zero interest in getting married or having a kid. That just mm -hmm. didn't seem like that was going to be my path. <laughs> and so... Uh, I, I always thought that it was a cliche when people said, "Oh, w when you meet the when you meet the right person, you'll know mm -hmm. immediately," and kind of that love at first sight thing. Yeah. I thought, no, that's just that's just something that people make up so they feel better about about the decisions that they've made. <laughs> um, and then you know what? I when I met my wife um, when we first met, uh, it was absolutely true. And so I think my younger self would have uh, he probably would laugh at me now. You know, I've lived the complete suburban lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, got the the family just waiting for the 2.5 kids uh, to fill up that household. But um, I, I would say that's probably what, what my younger self wouldn't believe today. Okay, so goal. So I, I would love to hear just what did 25 year old David think his life was going to be like to where you are now. What is that difference? Um, you know, I probably thought that I would be uh, jet-setting around and mm -hmm. just living this uh, bachelor lifestyle, which uh, I'm sure my, my friends would look back and say, there, no, there's no chance that you would do that. But uh, we can talk about it in a little bit, actually. But, you know, I kind of, you know, this with this podcast being focused on public education, mm -hmm. I didn't really, honestly... Think that I would end up in public education. That wasn't um, my charted path when I was in college. I kind of thought that I would go work for a PR agency or an advertising and marketing firm, and so just kind of uh, stumbled into public education, and it was something that I that I really ended up loving. So it's just kind of funny the the path that you have for yourself when you're younger that you think yeah. you just kind of got everything uh, charted out for yourself. 
and then things just kind of take a funny turn and it ends up being great though yeah yeah exactly you kind of you're able to make those amends to your goals but it's not a bad thing ever Aaron what about you I mean, I too live the kind of suburban, uh, the suburban life at this point, minus the two and a half kids plus three dogs. So <laughs> same, kids, same basic kids. thing, right? Millennials nowadays, dogs are kids. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it works both ways. Yeah. But I didn't necessarily grow up in, in this type of environment. You know, I didn't grow up in a household of influence uh, or opportunity. So I, I cannot say that at that time I really looked too far into the future as a kid. That just wasn't, you know, wasn't. Um, something that was a reality to me at that point. But luckily I had, you know, the guidance growing up of some great mentors and some and some really um, fantastic teachers that, you know, ignited a passion in me, you know, for mm-hmm. school. And I'm, you know, it's it's boring from some people's perspective, but I've spent my entire life in school in, in that way. You know, I basically never stopped college and, and spent my whole career in education. Um, you know, I, I can say that my perspective at the beginning of, yeah. uh, of coming into this career field was that, you know, school leadership which is kind of where you know david and i are both at now was really reserved for like seasoned employees with 20 plus years of experience and i, I you know in my own journey my career moved a lot faster than that and i mm-hmm. think that was kind of something that you know i've had to adjust to um, you know things just things happen really quickly yeah and you just got to change it i love it and then aaron we'll start with you what title would you give this chapter in your life you know andrew i'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of at this like renaissance point mm, in, in okay. my career. Like, um, it's really exciting, but it's also like a really high stakes chapter uh, in in my life, personally and professionally. I've spent a lot, a long time in this kind of like academic silo um, in in education. You know, teaching and school assessment and overseeing accountability and you know. Um, and now, you know, I've kind of been given an opportunity to, to step out of that of that silo into a role that's much more systems and mm-hmm. strategy driven. And mm-hmm. My work is really to, you know, to help drive the system change, like you, like you mentioned, um, that you know results in student outcomes. But I do it through coaching school leaders, so I'm no longer like the direct touch yes. person, uh, so to speak. And, you know, work to build capacity of other people. Um, it's been a liberating year in my career in that way because you know it's like uh, you, you've stepped kind of out of out of the norm and you're getting to have a different kind of influence uh, yeah. that I've never really experienced before. And honestly, it's coincided with a lot of great personal and family and life accomplishments mm-hmm. uh, too. So it's, it's just this really does sound like your renaissance yeah. then at that I feel point. Like it's no. kind of rediscovered myself in my career and yeah, um, it's, it's having a, a good impact on you know life in general. Yeah, I love that. What about you, David? So. If I have to give the, a name to the chapter, mm-hmm. so that means that there's an overall book, yep. which I imagine nobody in the world would want to read. Um, <laughs> but if, if I had to give a, a title to this specific chapter, I, I would probably call it In the Thick of It. Okay. And I would say that uh, because it just seems like there are a lot of things that are going on in my life, and it, it's um, it's a lot of great things, but it's very intense as well. Yes. So, uh, you know, talking about uh, being married and having a, a young daughter, a, a two-year-old who's uh, just fantastic, but also a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And, and then also, uh, you know, in the current job that I have, um, feel really fortunate to be in the position that I am. Um, but it, it, it comes with a lot of responsibility as well. And so just that juggling of a family and career and, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, late night meetings that go yep. on, school board meetings that happen. and. Um, that takes away time from the family and you, you've got to make that up on, on the weekend the, the best mm-hmm. you can and it it's almost kind of like one of those times in your life where 
it's so uh, it's so intense, it's so compact that you almost can't even enjoy it. And, and yeah. you know, it's one of those things when you look back. You're in the middle of it right now, but then you know in a few years you're going to kind of step back and be like, oh, you know, it wasn't that so bad. Um, I kind of think about when I was in college and mm-hmm. I was I was in Delta Sig and yep. I was uh, held an officer position there, but I was also writing for the school newspaper. Mm-hmm. I was going to class and I had a part time job. And I look back on that, I'm like, how in the world did I do all that stuff? Just like yeah. juggling all of that and somehow doing a, a halfway decent job um, at all of those and. But it's one of those things, it's like in the, in the, when you're in the middle of it, you just kind of keep moving forward yep. and, and do the best you can. And then you look back a few years later and you're like, wow, I was pretty productive at one point in my life. Yeah, look how much this time kind of helped me grow to where I am today. And from what I understand, I mean, you are in the thick of it. One, raising a young family and everything else with your daughter. I, I One, can't imagine because obviously I don't have kids. But I know I, from what I understand that takes a lot of work. But then what I have been told too is you are a key player when it comes to school board meetings. You have to go and talk in front of school boards and present um, present your case for you know whatever topics are going on within this your school district and everything, right? Sure. I mean, you know, it's at, at school board meetings. Uh, certainly, there are a lot of presentations there, but also in my role. Um, and I, I know Aaron has his his own set of um, you know res- responsibilities and, and challenges or opportunities or whatever you want to call them. But um, you know a lot of it too. Recently, in my role is working with the media, yeah. And that can be very high stakes because you know when you've got that uh, that microphone or that camera in front of you, you want to make sure that you are saying the exact right thing because one little slip up, we've all seen uh, we've seen those clips on YouTube or on yeah. the internet. Oh, yeah. Or I don't want to be the next instant meme. Like yes. that's my. If I can stay off of Reddit, if I cannot become a meme, then throughout my career, then then I would consider it a, a job well accomplished. I would say but, so. Yeah. So and then too, the one thing that I would just add is, you know, I, t- I took a, a promotion to the current role that I have, and that was about a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. and that was uh, squarely in the middle of the COVID nineteen pandemic, which yes. is is still going on in, in various ways, but. Um, just to be able to, you know, talk about education and how greatly that shifted, yes. not just in our school district, but, but across the nation, across the world, and how education was changed, and mm-hmm. to kind of take over that that communications role and be able to talk to parents and talk to our communities and teachers and staff and explain what we were doing as a school district, it, mm-hmm. it was it was pretty heavy. Yeah, it's challenging, but I think also I imagine rewarding at the same time. Maybe maybe haven't had that full time, but just from outside of looking in, like just to be able to be a part of that change mm-hmm. and um, establish new norms, traditions, like you are you are in the thick of it, as you would say. Very much. It's, it's so. very much trial by fire. Exactly. All right. My final my final question: What life lesson took you the longest to unlearn? Not learn, unlearn. We'll start with David. All right. I would say, you know, when, when I was younger, um, even, you know, a young adult, I, I guess I had this thought that people that were older than me, people that either had, you know, leadership positions or, you know, they were the boss or that, that they knew exactly what to do and they uh-huh. knew when to do it, that they had this master playbook of life. And, you know, when a, a situation came up, they yep. said, okay, this is, this is what we do. This is how we um, accomplish this goal and, and move on to the next task. And then you get a little bit older and you, you become an adult yourself and you realize that nobody really knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> some people might have a little bit better of a grasp on it than others. And 
Um, some people are, are a little bit more attuned to, to handling certain situations uh, better than others. But at the end of the day, we're all just trying to uh, make it through this, this world in the best of the way that we can. And, and sometimes you succeed and sometimes you fail, but the most important thing is that you at least learn from what you've done in the past and, yes. and just keep moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Just thinking about, you know, you at a tour, now I'm at 26, right? And just where, how I thought those people were, had their lives put together. And now I'm at myself and I'm like, ah, I'm still figuring it out, right? Yeah. And that's everyone. What about you, Aaron? Yeah, and I've just had to, I've had to learn to quit trying to plan everything out. Yeah. Like nothing in this day and age works. Mm-hmm. It works as, as, it, as, as, it, as you plan it to. You know, David was just speaking to, you know, being in the thick of it and, and reacting to change and, you know, being prepared for that. And, you know, I've just kind of had to accept the fact that change is an expectation that's going to happen every single day. Yep. Um, you know, things are going to move fast, especially in our profession, and there's no stagnation to it. Like, you know, you can't get complacent in, mm-hmm. any, in anything you do. And, you know, sometimes sometimes planning... <laughs> Planning, planning too much can can you know silo you into a certain set of expectations that are not you know not aligned to what what's realistic. Mm-hmm. I've had to I've had to learn to adjust to you know something that's not instinctual to me. You know I'm a planner by nature. I like yeah. I like to know how things are going to go and what's going to happen in my day and make sure my calendar is lined up and I have my bulleted tasks to do and. Sometimes you just have to turn the page in your notebook and start taking notes on what's actually happening and, yep. and, and get off of your, your task list. And that, it's taking me a long I'm still working on it. Yes. Andrew, that's something that, like, it's a lifelong task for me. Yes. Well, exactly. And Aaron brings up a great point, too, because one thing that we were doing in our school district is we, were, we did uh, some crisis communications training, right? Yeah. And, you know, in the event of an emergency situation on a campus, what what do we do as, as a school district? Mm-hmm. But what do we do as, uh, specifically in my role as, as communications professionals? And we were kind of talking through all these different scenarios that maybe it's a, a tornado. Of course, we're in Texas, so yep. tornadoes are common. Or it could be a gas leak or a fire. There's a number of, of um, emergency situations that can yeah. happen. But then, of course, every every campus is different. And where yep. they would evacuate to is is different in every campus. But then, of course, there are variables in there mm-hmm. that you can't plan for. And so we were, I was just talking to my uh, security team at the, at the district there, and we were talking about how important it is to be prepared and, and, and you know, have as many plans as you can. But you at the end of the day, there's it's impossible to plan no. for every scenario because there's always going to be some variable in there that you haven't thought about, that you hadn't considered. But as long as you kind of have that preparation that you that you've done on the front end, mm-hmm. it'll just help you be um, uh, better prepared to react whenever something does occur. Yeah, I can agree. It's more. almost like sometimes plans can create blind spots for you in a, in a real situation. Yeah. That's, that's, and that's hard to hard to plan around then yeah. at that point. So, awesome. Well, today what we're going to be talking about is public education. We have two experts in in that field, and I know they're kind of giving me the look as I say experts, but you guys are both have a decade in the field at the very least. And so my first question as someone who only knows, you know, went through the public education system, but that is about hit my extent to it. I want to know is why should people care about public education? Why is it important? Andrew, I think it's important, um, you know, to remember that like, you know, from the early days of our, our nation, like public ed has played a vital role in you know, American democratic society, like it's it's institutional in, in our country. But the reality is that without without this industry, it's it's much harder to 
access employment opportunities, to create businesses, to drive entrepreneurship, you know, to expand economies. We're responsible for uh, for a lot of that. Um, you know, most wouldn't argue that the broader purpose of all schools, you know, is to kind of prepare young people for productive work and mm -hmm. fulfilling lives. But public education, you know, since the time of John Adams, has been expected to accomplish a much broader, you know, collective mission that's, you know, aimed at, at you know, promoting a common good. Mm -hmm. you know, it's more than just what we learn, but it's, it's, who, it's who comes out of our systems that, that's really the, the important thing, you know, preparing people to be responsible citizens and, yep. and, and becoming, you know, economically self-sufficient, you know, that's, that's really what we're here for, you know, improve social conditions and reducing inequalities, like, that's, that's what public education can accomplish. Yes. Um, you know, this is all in addition to, you know, the, the academic outcomes mm -hmm. that we're looking for, you know, the things that we have to teach every year, you know, there's a lot of human capital at, at stake, um, and the responsibility of, of David and myself and everyone that works kind of in our industry is, in, with regard to um, economic and social health of our, of our nation is really high. I mean, that's on our shoulders, yeah. if you really kind of think about it, you know, big picture. Um, I think most people would find that, that school systems, you know, especially public ones, are, you know, microcosms of society. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, because of that reality, you know, a lot of the turmoil, or, you know, the, the ebbs and flows in our society, um, also plays out in our schools. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the lives people live and the experience of the world, you know, is kind of reflected in, in the walls of, you know, the buildings that David and I work in. Um, but going back to, you know, the mission of what schools are, are established for, you could argue that school buildings are, are you know, the safest and most uh, effective place for student learning and growth and development because the conditions are right. You know, the, the conditions are right for attaining academic mm -hmm. knowledge that's, you know, developmentally appropriate um, and, and, you know, exploring passions and, and talents and skills as we prepare kids for the future workforce. Uh, but the, those conditions are also right, you know, for, um, you know, developing an individual perspective in, in a diverse environment and, and, and discovering the future places where students, you know, feel compelled to contribute. Um, it's about building the human capital. Yeah. It's so much more than just teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. um, people should care about public, public education because, you know, they came from it. In, yeah. most, in, most, in most instances, they're products of it. Yes, um, there's very few people who haven't gone through yeah. the public education system or some sort of education 100%. system at that point. But they should also respect public education for that reason. Yes. I think, that's, I think it's important. We, we, have to, we have to, you know, honor that institution because it's, it's responsible for a lot of the progress that mm -hmm. our country's made in the last 300 years. So. Yeah, and as, you, as we continue to develop um, this public education system, right, and move it into this new age that we're in, I think that's part of this discussion that yeah. we'll probably touch on here in a little bit as well. But David, did you have anything to add to the to answer? Well, I, I think Aaron's answer was was very academically sound. I, I didn't mm -hmm. know that he was going to reference John Adams and take. It back, I know he went way back. Take it back to the 1700s, <laughs> but you know he is a doctor, so yep. I would expect nothing less. Yeah, that's where we come from. Yeah, yeah. I know. No, I, I would just say that um, I, I think Aaron hit on all the uh, salient points there. But one thing that I would just add is the um, importance of whether you are living in an affluent neighborhood or let's say you're um, economically disadvantaged. Um, a, a strong public school system, you know, throughout the throughout the region, throughout the state, throughout the nation, is important to make sure that we, you know, have have those opportunities available for all students. And so, no matter your background, 
that you can go through, have a positive um, educational experience, and then much like Aaron said, go, go into the world and, and be productive members of society. Mm -hmm. Education is a great equalizer in that way. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to I want to kind of jump into another question just from based on what you said, David. Is kind of you know schools across the country. Some you know when we look at funding and everything else, right? Schools will operate on low levels, high levels, medium levels, uh, based on their state's um, metrics that they look at. But what what does success look like when like a public school is operating on that that highest level? What what are we hoping to see kind of across the board? Well, you know, I think it's. Um I think that there are certain um, assessments out there, state-mandated assessments. I know those look different um, across the nation. They might be um, judged differently at different levels. Um, it's easy to look at a test score and say, okay, you got an A on this or a, a B on this. Um, it's kind of easy to, to judge in that way. But really, kind of when I think about a successful school or a successful school system, what I think about is when the, the teachers, the campus administration, the school administration, the students, the parents, even outward to the community members who are, are maybe empty nesters who don't have any students in the district, but when they're working in harmony, when they're working together um, to benefit the school, that's when I truly think that we've kind of reached that pinnacle yeah. of a successful school system because what you've done then is you've created Love, levels of buy-in throughout the system yeah. to where everybody realizes the importance of, of the educational system and it goes back exactly to, to what Aaron was talking about earlier. Um, and you know that, that looks different at different levels too. I mean going back to um, you know an affluent district versus maybe a more um, economically disadvantaged uh, school system, you know just sending s children to school, if they're going to school and they haven't had breakfast or they don't have the opportunity yeah. to have breakfast, if they, um, you know, if, if the, their parents maybe don't maybe fully understand the value of ed education or they're not uh, preaching that on a daily basis, mm -hmm. that when those students get home that they're not, you know, asking them about what they did at school that day and asking them about their homework and making sure that they get their homework done, you know, having supportive parents creates that really strong foundation. So when those kids get to school, they are ready to learn. Yeah. And then teachers can can build upon that foundation. And and so it, it, it's really great when, when they have that foundation, but we know that unfortunately that's just not the case. That, mm -hmm. that there are some uh, students that are, that are going to school that, that don't have those same opportunities at home. And, and so it doesn't mean that the teachers give up on them. It just yeah. means that those teachers have to work a little harder uh, to bring those kids up. And that's, that's the great thing about uh, the schools that I've worked in is is those teachers, they, they love every single kid that, that comes through the doors and, you know, everybody's different and everybody brings their, their yeah. own, uh, you know, set of challenges maybe to the classroom. Um, but really the, the teachers, again, the, all the way down through, the teachers, the administrators, um, everybody, parents, parent volunteers, working in harmony to, to make sure that that school system is as strong as it can be. Yes, I think it's really important to remember what the old saying is like a community raises a child. It's not just the parent, but it's the everyone surrounding them. It's, that's how you build, that's how you create, um, build, create, grow a productive citizen, but also just a good human at that point. Yeah, and being a, a good human doesn't mean that you got straight A's on everything. No. I mean, uh, you know, you, you can go through and, and get some A's and B's and C's yeah. or whatever it is, but it's, it's more about the life experiences that you mm -hmm. have and really what you take from what you learned 
in school and just in life in general growing up. And then what do you do with that going forward? Yes. Do you then take that to a, a, a two-year college or a four-year university? Or do you go straight into the career? Or do you join the military? Or what, what are you doing to uh, benefit yourself, but also, more importantly, uh, benefit your community? Yeah. No, I really like that. I'm glad you kind of touched on, you know, the, the different outcomes that, that our students really, you know, attain. You know, I think that's one of the things that we've had to, in the last decade, really adjust mm-hmm. to is that, you know, there is no common metric that is fair and just to hold to all of, you know, all of our students to, you know, teachers have really had to work to respond to those individual needs. They come to us with individual, you know, backgrounds and unique um, perspectives and unique needs that, you know, teachers have to adapt to. Um, and, and to me, that's those, those are the healthiest learning environments mm-hmm. where it's, it's personalized, you know, for every kid that walks in your door. And the, the, the growth and the, you know, the, the goals that you set for, for kids, those need to be personal too. Yeah. You know, like David and I, David may be interested in one thing, I may be interested in another, and, and it's okay in, mm-hmm. in our setting to say, you know, maybe the best place for David is is in a technical institution learning yep. a trade, and that is a totally appropriate mm-hmm. and, and worthwhile goal that we need to value yep. as, as an industry, and as a society. And that person's not worth any less time or effort in a mm-hmm. school system than someone who has straight A's and is a National Merit Scholar. Yes. Like, it takes the same level of attention and, yep. and should be supported in the same capacity and with the same funding yeah. that, that, that the other students. So, I mean, we've had to, we've kind of had to adapt in that yeah. way because the pendulum has, has, has swung in education to this one-size-fits-all mentality to this much more personalized um, setting that, that I think is... From what I understand from a history perspective, right, that that kind of that pendulum on the one side of almost like not necessarily like, quote unquote, factory producing students and citizens, but that's kind of where it started, where, you know, the jobs that came out were well paying factory jobs and those kind of things to where now society, that's not what we need anymore. We need we need students that have various trades, various interests that can fit this very dynamic world that we kind of live in now. 100%. I mean, our, our system that we know today is changing, but yes. it's a result of like industrialization. Mm-hmm. And that's, we're having to break down those barriers. And it's, it's really an exciting time because kids, kids are winning in the end. Yes, yes, exactly. And society and everything else. We, we talked, you guys have kind of touched on some challenges and stuff that students are facing, whether that's, you know, socioeconomical. I know, obviously, we, are in the introduction, right, your dissertation, it, we, we might cover some of this, but I want to know what challenges are you guys seeing that students, teachers, and families are facing today within public education? Aaron, you want me to start with that one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So, you know, I would say that uh, there, there are certainly challenges today for, for our students and our families. Um, but challenges have always been there, right? It, it, I can't imagine that there's been a single generation that's gone through school that didn't have some sort of, of challenge or obstacle or barrier a place in their way. It's just that the, the challenges, they, they change over time and they look a little bit different. And so one thing that I've noticed um, for some of the school systems that I've worked for, um, especially at the high school level when students start getting ready to move on uh, to some of those uh, secondary uh, higher education options, is there's a, a pursuit um, of 
a perfect GPA ranking that yeah. you know I have to I have to load my course schedule with a, with an a, AP you know advanced mm-hmm. placement course um, that I've got to I've got to ace um, I've got to make sure that every single assignment is turned in on time with extra credit and anything else is is unacceptable yeah. and it, it what it, what that does is that creates a, a lot of stress and mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on these kids um, which. Some of them are, are able to handle it handle it well, and, and others, frankly, um, are not. It, it just it, and ultimately, it's in pursuit of getting into the, the premier college or, or the best yes. university in the nation. And one thing that I've heard from uh, college admissions officers and our advanced academics coordinators at the district that I work for is, you know, having good grades is important. Yeah. That, that that'll probably always be important. Colleges want to make sure that. Um, the students that they're bringing in are, are academically sound, but they mm-hmm. also want to make sure that the students are well-rounded too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what type of clubs and organizations did you did you serve on? What what leadership opportunities or, or what leadership roles did you host in those organizations? What community service are you doing? What are you doing to better the community that you live in? Um, did you play sports? Were you in fine arts? Were you a captain? You know, all these things yep. that, that really create a well-rounded student. And so, you know, chasing that high GPA, um, you know, I, I understand why why students want to do that because they want to to be able to climb that class rank and, yep. and really put together a, a transcript that, that looks really, uh, really sound for these universities' admissions offices. But um, sometimes it's more important to, to take a step back and if there's a class that you really enjoy, it's an elective, but maybe it's not weighted as high on the GPA scale mm-hmm. as one of these AP courses. But hey, that's maybe this art class is going to help you in, in a different way. It's going to yeah. unlock something, some creativity that's going to help you um, in the f- field of engineering or mm-hmm. architecture or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one thing that, that I think is, is certainly a challenge of this, um, this stress, this pressure that oftentimes is, is that we place upon ourselves to, to be perfect. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you say that. I mean, we've seen in the news a lot of universities, especially at the time of COVID, but I think I think it was a long time coming for some of them have thrown out things like, we don't care what your SAT score is or yeah. we don't care what your GPA was in high school. That's why even on our, I mean, I think it was some of the Ivy Leagues that, mm-hmm. that started that conversation and it really kind of shook us to our core because yeah. that is you know, the GPA chasers are people that <laughs> we all we all know them when yep. we're in your classes. Oh and yeah. It's, you know, they're they're playing the the policy game and trying to how many AP classes can I get on my schedule? Yep. And and it in the end of the day it doesn't make necessarily oh, there's exceptions. It doesn't necessarily make all students depends on what their goal is, yes. One hundred percent. And and to David's end, I think there's a lot to be said for well rounded, mm-hmm. you know, Students who who can you know discuss different topics and 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 you know not just live in this one solely academic lane. You know they need students need to have you know club and organization experience and you know be on a team at some point so they can cooperate and communicate with others uh, and not just through technology. Um, you know those things are really those things are really valid and and, mm-hmm. and vital. Yes. I agree, right? And I think that's, it sounds like just from the rumblings that I hear, you know, even just from kind of hints that you guys are talking about, it seems like GPA is maybe not necessarily being less valued, but those other things are kind of coming back up into the forefront of being more valued at that point. Absolutely. So what are some, what is something about the educational system that you wish more people knew about? I mean, I'll, 
I'll kind of start this one off and I'll, I'll sidestep any controversy that could be around this topic. But um, I think in general, there's, there's, there's a, a public conversation about what we teach in schools mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think without getting into, you know, any of that conversation, I think from our perspective, at least in our state, and you know, we're in Texas and everyone kind of does things a little bit differently, but I wish people generally knew, you know, more about the role that the state and the public play mm -hmm. in determining what we, what we teach, like yeah. the what. Um, and in Texas, you know, we have a, a state board who adopts our standards, you know, for every single subject, which basically outlines the what mm -hmm. of every single class in our school. Yep. There's a lot of different people that are involved in that process. You know, it's not just elected officials that have parent representatives and experts in those fields. And there's a lot of input and review and research that goes into deciding from a state down what what we're responsible for. Yeah. You know, and from there, you know, schools, it's on schools then to kind of adopt resources and choose mm -hmm. things that align to those to those standards. Um, and then put them in place, um, you know, to, to, to use in schools, develop their curriculum from yeah. those two from those two sources. There's there's a lot of opportunities for teachers to determine how they teach yep. the material, but there's not a whole lot of wiggle room on, you know, adding content or, or mm -hmm. you know, interpretation into what, what really has to happen in our classes. Um, every, every public school district in our state is governed by a, a locally elected body, mm -hmm. you know, our, our school boards. Um, and these trustees are kind of like the guardians of the yes. public trust, right? So they inform how we educate our kids through the lens of community interest. Um, that our our boss, our superintendent, or the leader mm -hmm. of our school, you know, serves as their advisor. Yep. So it's kind of like an intermediary between the public mm -hmm. and and what we actually have to do inside our walls. Um, you know, but she's responsible for ensuring that you know the board's informed mm -hmm. about what's happening in the district operations, activities, you know, the courses that we offer, yep. uh, the district's needs, those sort of things. They adopt policies, you know, to help us achieve those things to yep. execute in that way. Um, you know, they define the vision of how we're mm -hmm. going to manage our school. They hold us accountable for what we have to teach, mm -hmm. but they don't determine what we teach. Yes. So there's kind of a really definitive line there. It's really a kind of a protected, sacred thing. Mm -hmm. um, school boards are a great place for people to get involved mm -hmm. in this conversation. So I think that's important for people to hear. You know, it's a, way, a great way to serve yes. your, your local public school. And those meetings and forums, if, if, if service is not, your, you know, your cup of tea, that's a great place for, for people to give feedback mm -hmm. to that process. Um, or how the work's being done. But I think it's important to remember that it's it's not the what that's determined yeah. by us locally. You know, yeah. it's, it's the how. That's the work. That's the work that we that we have to execute. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's you know there's some kind of misunderstanding, general misunderstanding about that for sure in in, in, in in the world. So. And then with the I think then kind of take that broad yeah. approach right with the state level to look at those public. Uh, school boards, like the state public school boards and everything, those are elected officials as well, or are those appointed by elected officials? I believe they're all elected officials. Okay. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's all... I'm sure they're down, down ballot, down ballot votes well, that people don't I notice. I think it's good, it's good to say that, you know, it's important for people to know, yeah. you know, and to be actively engaged because, you know, you... You, you decide who's governing your local public school district. Yeah. You know, it's, it's on the ballot. It may not happen as often as, as you know, the other elections, and mm -hmm. it may not make the public, the public news, but 
you know, that's that's a way for everyone to have a voice um, in, in the process. Right, and I think that's for anyone who, and just to kind of say this, right, anyone who has who has children that are going to said, you know, school, but also when we, as we talk about society, right, you're like you're helping be assistance to someone like myself or Aaron, right, we both are childless, and so um, I think it's just as important that the uh, citizens that the the school is um, the school is helping grow and all that that they are being productive as well and so that matters even for people who don't have kids um, no I like that anything to add David so Aaron kind of took that from the kind of the state level mm-hmm. and so I guess I'll go I'll look at it from more of a, a kind of a granular view there and I'll even I'll start kind of personally I, I touched on this a little bit earlier but I'll, I'll kind of go into this story of how I even got into school public yeah. relations in the first place. And so I, uh, I graduated from the University of North Texas and had a degree in public relations and kind of had this dream of working for a, a public relations firm or a, a marketing agency and was kind of looking for a couple jobs here and there. And then there was a, a paid internship at a public school district in their communications office. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know school systems had PR offices. Mm-hmm. I, that was that was mind blowing <laughs> to me. Or that they needed. Yeah. Exactly. And so I and so I went and I, I applied uh, for this this internship and I got it. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know what, I'm, I'll do this, and this will be a, a good thing to add to the resume and, yeah. and the stepping stone for that kind of the ultimate goal that I have. Yeah. And I've got to tell you, within probably three, four, five months, I was like. Man, I could I could easily see myself spending my career in the field of, of education and, and specifically in, in communications for school mm-hmm. districts. And and the reason why I, I found that out so quickly was because I was going out to the campuses, I was interacting with students, I was interacting with teachers and educators, and I was helping tell the, the positive stories that were happening in our schools every single day and then promoting that out into the community. Yeah. And honestly for me, it, it was instantly just gratifying and fulfilling. And, mm-hmm. I, and I found a purpose in that. And kind of that, that original goal that I had of working for an agency, I, I had many friends who went that route. Mm-hmm. And let me be clear about this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking that because, I've, like I said, I've got friends who are in it and they, and yep. they love it. Um, but what I found that I really liked was the fact that I wasn't selling a product. Mm-hmm. Right. I wasn't having to write um, ad copy or anything else for... Um, fast food or whatever sort of product uh, for some commercial business that was, that was out there. And so for me, it wasn't about selling a product. It was more about, um, you know, telling these great stories about mm-hmm. students and teachers. And so for me, I, I found uh, I found a love in that and something that I that I would enjoy for a long time. And so I guess what I'm my point of that story is I, I feel like most educators get into the business for the for the same reason. Either they purposely go into education knowing that they want to make an impact mm-hmm. on students' lives and a positive impact on a on an organization, or like me, they just kind of stumble into it and before they realize it, they they find out they love it. And so, you know, really at the end of the day, ninety nine percent of the educators that I that I've interacted with, they're there for the sole reason of. When, when they see that they're making a positive impact on kids, like that's how they're fulfilled, right? Yeah. Uh, certainly didn't get into the business to get rich. Uh, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> As we all chuckle, nonprofit, you guys, you came around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but it's more about, um, 
It's more about what are you getting out of it? How are you uh, filling yeah. your own bucket? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I've seen administrators um, where one, one set of parents says that they're, you know, too conservative, pushing a conservative agenda. And another group of parents says that that same administrator is, is pushing a liberal agenda. Yeah. So, uh, you know, educators aren't getting into, into the business to, to push an agenda or, or, or lead. Um, one political ideology over another. It's more about what they can do uh, for students. And, and that's just what I've seen for the school districts that I've worked for, that mm-hmm. it's always student-focused, it's always student-centered. And a lot of times there are tough decisions that have to be made, um, decisions that uh, maybe aren't always popular or uh, might uh, you know, split a community a, a little bit in terms of um, how uh, controversial it might be. But ultimately, you know, Leaders are, are tasked with not, not making friends with everybody. They're yeah. tasked with, with making those hard decisions, and those decisions are always made with what's best for students. Yeah. Okay. So I want to jump around a little bit, and I want to ask, I want to talk about technology and about maybe a little bit about your dissertation and everything else. So how is technology helping our public schools? Are, they, are there any downsides to the increase in technology? that or in the increase that technology has played in student learning i think this is especially important given that we're just coming off of covid when we saw that covid kind of probably ramped up what was already gonna happen but it it made it happen within six months and everything yeah 100 percent. i mean like i i think david and i could probably attest that we we all learned a lot in the last you know two and a half years and we're still we're still learning because mm-hmm. now we're in that adjustment phase of like how do we come back from what we our lived experience you know um technology was like this essential piece of the educational process over the last two years I and mean, it either made or or broke uh, you know systems it showed yep. it showed how prepared you were or yep. it showed some serious deficiencies mm-hmm. either in and you know the capacity that school districts you know had to to provide technology or access to to high speed internet in rural areas. Mm-hmm. I know that's a big thing in Texas that you know that we're going to have to work to, to solve for. And yeah. the pandemic proved that that was that was necessary. Um, you know, it, it it forced us to this online virtual world, and you know, it, unfortunately, it it worked for some. And you know, for others, we're going to be, you know, ten years, you know, years to parity, you know, trying to make yeah. the, the difference in, in what kids lost, particularly young kids in, in English and math, or you know, reading mm-hmm. math. Um, it's 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 staggering, you know, that that kind of gap that that we're that we're tasked with with filling at this point. You know, I don't want to overlook, you know, um, the the the. I don't want to say this. It's 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 really important that we acknowledge that a lot of people struggled yes. through the last three years, and it, it was a really trying time, especially for for families in our state because it's huge, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of inequity in terms of access. Yes, um, and it, to me, to me, the pandemic just showed how 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 prepared we were, or it really highlighted those those gaps. Um, there were a lot of factors at play. Um, now that we're returning back, you know. Teachers are having to make a huge adjustment, and, and the question is, how far back do we go? You mm-hmm. know, uh, I think generally there's, you know, 
the pros and cons of technology, just to kind of get into educational technology for a second, you know, they're obvious to most people. Yeah. You know, it enables kids to have access to, you know, high quality things at the touch of a button, mm -hmm. information resources, you know, helps engagement, all the, all the textbook things. For sure. And, uh, you know, prepares us for a 21st century workforce. And, and but from that perspective, it also helped teachers a lot, you know, mm -hmm. it made, it made the day-to-day the -day task a lot more efficient. Yep. And, and now we have uh, instantaneous data on what our students know at, at, at a click of a button. Uh, but on the flip side, you know, speed is not always a beneficial thing in cognitive, cognitive development. And we're starting to see that in, in our students in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's value in the thinking process and the discovery process that's tactile yep. and not, you know, through a screen or on a keyboard. Um, and and you know we've all seen the kids glued to their to their to their screens in, in almost a dependent manner. And we're, yes. we're tasked with finding what that balance is and striking that balance in, in the classroom. And it's hard because we just came from a, an environment that was one hundred percent one direction. Yes. Um, which some of us were really pushing people to go for a long time. So mm -hmm. once we got there, it was like it's really hard to reel it back. Yeah. Um, in our in our in our school district, we just did this nationally normed climate survey that mm -hmm. kind of measures you know where kids are in terms of how they feel about their schooling and what they feel mm -hmm. like is going well. Um, but some of the feedback was a little surprising. I mean, we had actually had kids write on that on on the kind of the open-ended response questions that they wish we had more pencil and paper tasks. Yes. And we're doing too much on computers. Yeah. And we're like, you know, five, Amazing to five hear from years ago, yeah. we were thinking, we've got to do more on technology because technology, mm -hmm. technology equals innovation. And we're, we're at this point now where, that, you know, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Innovation mm -hmm. is not just having a device in your hands. You know? Yes. Innovation is, is the creativity that you use that tool, tool for, yeah. you know, or, you know, the the virtual reality goggles that you're using to have an experience with. Like, yeah. To me, that's that's getting innovative with technology. Mm -hmm. And we've, we're, we're starting to see that we've, we've lost some ground and, and sometimes technology has been a hindrance uh, yes. in, in making up some of that, some of that gap. So, um, you know, the, the real promise in this technology thing is, is what people do with it mm -hmm. you know, and, and how it's used to support student needs. Um, it's a tool. Yes. And, and that's what we have to wrap our head around. It's, but it's hard because we just came from a world where we were completely... We had to, I mean, completely yeah. reliant on technology and especially with schools and what we're kind of seeing just across the country. Um, I do want to kind of dive in. I don't, yeah. I don't know, David, if you had a point to kind of add, but diving in, knowing with your dissertation yeah, and everything sure. else, this feels like the right time because I've, I've, ever since getting, getting the chance to talk to you, I've wanted to talk to you a little bit more about... Um, this kind of gap that you see between rural and maybe more urban, suburban sure. school districts um, when it comes to gifted students. But I think we can take it from that lens. And then I also want to know this kind of maybe when you wrote your dissertation to now when you have this updated of, all right, now let's add technology to it and like you have to be online. So there's already probably that gap. And then having high speed internet access in rural areas is not necessarily. Um, reliable there. Yeah, so. there are definitely some connections between the two. And you know, you kind of spoke about my research a little bit. Mm -hmm. So in general it was it was kind of looking into the the system gaps 
that you know are created by policy or created by the systems we use to identify kids mm-hmm. and and why those kind of inherently disadvantage some students over others and you know i grew up in a rural community mm-hmm. you know, on a farm in a town with less than 300 people yep. like I, I lived that kind of i'm a gifted kid in a rural environment life and you know reflecting back i can see I can see those times in my life where people didn't know what to, to do with me, mm-hmm. um, or there wasn't really a way for us to measure what I, you know, where I was. So I just kind of got, I mean, I spent some days actually copying out of an encyclopedia. Yeah. But um, there was some interesting, interesting times in environments like that. But the point of this is that there are there are, are systems in place in every school to find the gifts and talents in the kids in mm-hmm. our building. And they, those gifts and talents, you know, exist in, in all students in some capacity, some form or fashion. Yeah. But there's like this traditional, um, you know, view of what giftedness is. Yes. And who who that's probably going to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of the assessments we know, you know, that the people use and the, the policies we have in place, at least what we found in our setting and my research, was yeah. that it it typically. Uh, disadvantaged students from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, mm-hmm. students from linguistically diverse backgrounds, um, and oftentimes minority students too. I mean, it was it, unfortunately that was that was the case. You yeah. There was no way to kind of argue against it. It was, mm-hmm. it was it was the population that was getting through the test versus the ones that weren't. So, yeah. uh, I know you know that from my own experience that that's. That's not a true representation of our school. Therefore, it can't be a true representation of the giftedness in our school. And mm-hmm. if you look at it from a national perspective, you know, part of what I looked at was when you took national national standards and compared them to Texas standards, what are the differences? And then what we weren't willing to cover in our standards, what room did that leave for local interpretation? Yeah. That in turn, you know, puts barriers up for, for kids that aren't necessary. Yeah. It was just about breaking down some of those barriers and huh. coming to the realization that a lot of times you have to, it's, self, it's self-examination on the part of people that run schools mm-hmm. to determine, you know, is, is there something that we're doing that's getting in the way? Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that you, you don't change, adult, you know, student outcomes without changing adult behavior. Yeah. And you have to examine yourself and your systems and your policies and your, your processes to make sure that, you know, what you're doing really is for the betterment of all, all students, mm-hmm. not, just, not just a specific group that's advantaged for one reason or another. Yeah. And do you see this new almost adherence to technology within schools as a barrier or an opportunity to knock down some barriers it can, for it can work both ways okay i think i think it has the potential to to do both yeah i think it's it's all in how you put it into action yeah like if 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 you you're blindly using it as as a method to to get done the bare minimum what you have to get done you're probably overlooking some of the opportunity to really reach all your kids but there are a lot of things out there. We use several programs in our school district that that really dig into where kids are and identify what their strengths and weaknesses are and tailor, you know, some of that individual development to where it, there are tools there. Mm-hmm. There are ways to use it to fill those gaps. Yeah. Um, but it's it's when we kind of relegate it to, you know, it's filling time or mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. just going to use it to complete our task that I feel like you lose the opportunity to, to really meet all the kids where they are. Um, I think it can be a great tool to make 
to make filling the gap more efficient yeah. if it's intentionally used. Okay. Um, but that's on that's on the responsibility of, of the people that are in charge. So mm -hmm. That's something that we have to really self-examine and, yeah. and, and make some intentional decisions behind. And you have to think about all of your kids going in, mm -hmm. you have to put it into place, and then you have to evaluate it at some point in the process to say, is this working? And if it's not, you have to be willing to throw it away, no matter how much money you spend on it. Yes. And that's a tough pill to swallow when, when you're talking about putting laptops in the hands of every kid yeah. and sending home, you know, Wi-Fi routers so your kids are, you know, mm -hmm. have, have internet access at home. You know, you, there's a lot of money tied up into that those assets. So it's... Yeah, especially depending on the school district, right? Like obviously, right, if you have a wealthy school district that can put, you know, the brand new MacBooks and do all that or Wi-Fi routers, like you said, but then you go to a school probably kind of, we, sounds like we have similar backgrounds and everything of the kind of school we went to, could never afford Wi-Fi routers to send home and everything for all their students. Like that's just not, that's, well, the funding's not there. You know, the, not to get into semantics, yeah. but like the, the federal government's throwing trillions of dollars at this, yeah. you know, trying to solve, trying to solve this problem in schools. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about, you know, new infrastructure. I'm talking about what, you know, the relief that they, they yeah. offer the states in, in, after the pandemic. But, but the question, the question I have is, you know, did people think about what they were going to spend that money on so that it was intentional or mm -hmm. did we just buy Chromebooks for every kid and buy the Wi-Fi routers, you know, like, were we really thinking about is this going to fill gaps yes. and how are we going to know that it's filling the gaps and are we willing to, to change halfway you know through the course if, it, if it's not yeah and it's, it's just all about commitment from 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 the school from, mm -hmm. that, from that point of view. that makes sense david did you want to add anything on the technology question on how if the, how they're helping public schools maybe even kind of a specific example from your school district well i'll, I'll take it from the viewpoint you know aaron obviously touched on it from the, the student achievement perspective. So I'll look at it from, from what I do on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. and the communications and, and public relations aspect of it. And so I had a, a recent, um, a, a former boss a few years ago, and he was telling me in the, in the mid-90s, whenever he wanted to get news out about the school district, positive news, he would type up a press release and then he would drive it down to the local <laughs> newspaper, uh, uh, the news station, the news office, and then would kind of cross his fingers and, and hope that they run the story yeah. so that it would then show up the next day and, and people would know about it. And if uh, the, something was going on in the community that day or whatever, it might get pushed a couple days or it might not get run at all. Yeah. And so, I mean, that was just, we're talking about 25 years ago. We're not, mm -hmm. we're not talking about that long ago. And so when I got into, when I first kind of came on the scene in public education, things were starting to slowly shift where we were relying less on uh, those traditional media outlets to share our news mm -hmm. to where we had some new tools and capabilities to where we could share our news directly, right? So we didn't have to uh, go to the copy machine and make 800 copies of something to stick in a take-home flyer <laughs> to the parents and, yeah. then, and then just cross your fingers and pray that the kid doesn't lose the, the folder on the, <laughs> they're walking home. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, you find, find a lot of those folders in the, in the creek uh, right next to the school. Um, but now we have these tools where we can create these really slick looking uh, email newsletters. So mm -hmm. we can start getting into email marketing. We can start dipping our toes like when I first got into the business uh, of social media. You know, at first social media was all about these personal connections and then all of a sudden it was opened up to uh, organizations mm -hmm. and corporations and all of a sudden these, these large organizations can start interacting directly um, with individuals. And so 
that was something that was really exciting, really new to where, again, we're not having to rely on, on others to share our message. We can share directly um, with our community. And so that's that's a great thing, but then also, um, you know, I, I, I personally find social media to be a, a blessing and a curse. I mm-hmm. think it's done some amazing things of, of bringing people together, um, finding ways in which people can share interests and find these commonalities and, and, and build these really interesting relationships. Um, but then at the same time, I, I think it can create an echo chamber. I think it can create situations where um, it almost creates a rumor mill. I've noticed that yep. in our school district where I've, I've got to work at 8 a.m. I, I fire up the computer and I see an email. Hey, do you see the, the Facebook thread from last night? And I pull it up. I go to the community page. And it's something that is just completely made up something mm-hmm. that, that didn't happen it's just it's like the game of telephone where yeah. somebody says one thing and then you know 10 people later it's turned into this gigantic story there are whole groups dedicated i think online to to that particular task of like circulating yeah. things that we think may be happening in your school right yeah <laughs> and oftentimes sometimes there's a you know a glimmer of truth and then it's just expanded into something mm-hmm. um, just outrageous or sometimes it's just been something where it it's just a complete falsehood. And so mm-hmm. then then we're having to go out, we're having to go to those message boards, go to those Facebook threads, and, and start correcting some of these rumors, which really gets into a weird spot because I'm, you know, I'm saying- you, you have to answer them, right? Because then they just spread almost like wildfire. Like back in the day when before, it'd be like rumors might pass around, but it'd be localized, like very, like very easy to contain. And now it's, you know, one post and it can be national. Exactly. Yes, and it happens very quick because to that point, it might be something where people are are talking in the community, and you know, one person talks to somebody at the grocery store, and then they talk to the next person at church, and then you know, slowly it grows. Well, I mean, you can turn around and within a couple of hours have three hundred comments on a single thread, and then just try imagine trying to put that genie back in the bottle. It's not a not an easy task, and so again, those types of tools, social media in particular, um, it's it's offered some really unique opportunities for the school district to be able to, to share mm-hmm. great content, great videos, great stories about our students and our teachers directly. Um, and we've had a lot of success with that. But again, trying, trying to fight that river mill um, has been a, an interesting um, interesting challenge. I'm sure, especially in your role and everything yeah. else. And, and you know, one other thing that I would add on technology um, is how all of our information, all of the you know the records and data that we keep, um, are moving to a to a digital platform, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have your front office staff having to flip through binders and binders and, and make updates and new copies. It's all it's all digital, and that's great because it streamlines a lot of a lot of things. With that though comes you know cybersecurity mm-hmm. incidents as well, and we've noticed that you know worldwide you, you'll have organizations from across the globe that have started to target. Uh, they target school districts and municipalities because oftentimes they can be soft targets, mm-hmm. right? They don't have millions and millions of dollars to spend on cybersecurity infrastructure. But then, to be honest, you see stories where Costco or Target or uh, the FBI or yeah. uh, these large-scale organizations, <laughs> credit card companies, uh, where they're getting hit and they're having, mm-hmm. uh, whether it be ransomware or these uh, data leaks. And so kind of makes you think if the FBI can't... Uh, protect their, their data than almost like, two can. And yeah, so, what community school is going to be able to do that and invest right. that money? And, and so it's, it's difficult because, yeah, these, these organizations will go out, they'll try to lock your data, and they'll tell you, hey, we, we'll give you the encryption key to, to decrypt yeah. your data, uh, but it'll cost you 50 grand. 
Yeah. Right? They know, and they know we have money. I mean, they know that, you know, there's... Yeah, they can see that. We get money from the state. They know that there's some cash there. I mean, in most cases. Right. Well, and there was a, a school district that I know of. It, it, it wasn't mine, thankfully. But their, uh, their system was was accessed and everything to even the AC unit yeah. ran on their uh, internal, you know, internet system. And so they couldn't control the AC in their building. And it started to get, it gets hot in Texas. Yeah, so, of course. Um, and, and so the, it really puts these these districts in a, in a spot to where, I mean, that's just the AC, but then we're talking about student records and, you know, teachers being able to pull up their, their uh, students' files and, and these types of situations. If they can't access that, the day-to-day operations of a school district can mm-hmm. be completely shut down. And so... Uh, you know that that's just one interesting thing about you know this push to move digital, 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 but then you've got somebody else somewhere on the other side of the world who's kind of thinking, okay, hey, this is my opportunity to strike. Yeah, it really makes us vulnerable in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, guys, as you know, people want to get more involved in everything else. We kind of touched on you know look at look at your um, elections to be on the board, obviously go to the board meetings. Are there any other ways that people who want to be involved in public education can be involved in public education outside of those two? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To, to your point, um, you know, show up to those, um, show up to those public meetings. I mean, again, a school board, a school board meeting or a city council meeting, whatever it is, just, just get involved in your community. But um, strictly from the school district perspective, you know, find opportunities to volunteer. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's joining the local PTA or PTO at the campus. Um, you know, find a way to make a personal connection at the school. You know, that might might feel a little bit more comfortable, obviously, if you're a parent yep. uh, to where you can join that organization. But I know schools are, they would clamor at the opportunity to have um, business, business leaders or industry experts or just somebody who's willing to, to kind of form that partnership. And, mm-hmm. you know, schools aren't, aren't looking for for money that well i mean money's nice you yeah, know, yeah. You, you can cut a check but i mean if, if you're actually talking about wanting to, to get involved i mean what can you what can you provide to to the school or to the students maybe mm-hmm. it's in the form of internships yeah maybe it's something in terms of you know again if you're an industry expert hey what's your next um uh, lesson on on you know maybe the field that, that i work in yeah. where i can hop into that class and, and talk to those students and, and just provide um, some some experience that way, and and then one other thing that I would just say is you know from my, from my district, so I can speak from that perspective. A lot of uh, committees, whether it, mm. it be strategic planning or district improvement planning committees or calendar committees or uh, there's communications councils and all sorts of things, to where they're looking for for community involvement, right? Yeah. They they want. Um, they want people who are involved. They, they want uh, outside perspective because really it doesn't benefit the school district to kind of create some of these plans in a silo, right? Because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that, that what you're doing has, has buy-in from the community and that when you go forward with these plans that, hey, it, it, it has been vetted by community members. I and, mean, you know, we, these are the values that we all believe yeah. in and this is, this is what this community wants for its schools. And so, um, you know, a, a lot of times it's simply just go into that, either that school or that school district's website and mm-hmm. just 
a lot of times it'll be an opportunity, hey, you know, volunteer or, you know, interested in learning more or getting involved. Yeah. A lot of times those websites will have a link on there. So I would I would certainly check that out. Awesome. One hundred percent. We're you know, we're kind of in a similar situation. We have a lot of especially now that, you know, career and technical education has become really an integral part of, of public schools. There's a lot of mentorship opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a really cool program that's, that's run through incubator edu okay and it's like a shark tank model right yeah, yeah entrepreneurial yeah. kids and you know we have some kids that do some incredible things but the the best part is people come out of the woodwork in the community with with business experience or entrepreneurship experience you know um they want to mentor a group through this process and help them with communication skills and it, it doesn't take experts to do mm-hmm. these things it takes willing people with with some realm of experience and we can find a place yeah. anywhere come read to our kids come mentor some kids um you know those programs exist in, in every school and if they don't they should but you know aside from that there are also ways that are like you know high impact but don't take a huge time commitment you know we there's a national substitute shortage like there's ways yep. for people and that's a part-time job you know you can work a day a week and that day a week helps in dividends you know mm-hmm. public schools function you know bus drivers crossing guards those are those are roles that are you know that we have to have to, yeah. to function they don't take they don't take a full-time commitment from any way but it's a great way to, to get involved and you can actually you know earn some money in yeah. some of those things there's a there's a lot of ways for the public to to you know get into the, the gears of the education system in one way or another there's a there's a lot of ways to make an impact yeah, just kind of curious. How does one like? What are the like prereqs to be a substitute? Like, do you have to have like a college degree? Is it just like graduate from high school and you're kind of good to go? Does it depend on the school district? I think it's going to depend on the school district. Okay. Um, you know, I'm, uh, high school diploma is typically required. I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> um, I, it, a lot of times, what you'll find is that people with with degrees, and there's like you know steps in terms of how much money you can make depending mm. on what your level of education is and you know what position you have to yeah. take by the day but you know that's going to be on any school district's website is you're going to have a substitute application and then it will have all that information for you so there's, a, there's a lot of ways to there's a lot of ways to get involved yeah just kind of curious in case yeah. you you know since there's a shortage and everything like does it does it require like a, i've always thought about it as like a um, retired teacher yeah. or someone who's just uh, you know, that was always my my um, and, you know then you just watch TV and or a movie or whatever like an educational one not not at all okay. we, we do have those and we love we love having our, sure. our teachers come back into our buildings but it's you know we, we have college students that come in and do that we have we have stay-at-home moms that yep. want, want some things to do a couple of days out of the week that come in and do that and, and we appreciate any of that any yeah of that support Okay, and so maybe maybe you're an individual who doesn't have the time necessarily to commit to either volunteering or going to those those board meetings and everything. Is there any? Do you guys have any suggestions on anything to read or watch or kind of even follow just to stay informed on public education? I mean, I think you know we've kind of talked about you know direct involvement in what's happening in, in you know school systems but you know i think paying attention to like legislative sessions and what we you know the laws that people are putting into place like that's a way for anybody to make informed decisions when elections come around that that trickle down and impact the work yeah. that we do. it either makes it easier or harder in most cases uh, so that's that's one way that that literally takes no time for people to to get involved in the process um, I also like encourage people to look up organizations that are that are involved and just you know 
read about ways to support them. Because a lot of times they, you know, there are, there are outside third-party entities that school districts rely on to support programs like the YMCA or Boys and Girls Club who do after-school programs. Um, you know, those are like direct student touch things. Those people rely on, you know, financial contributions from people. That takes no time, but mm -hmm. it does pay back, you know, schools in a way. There are also organizations that, like the Holdsworth Center, who is, you know, revolutionizing what leadership looks like in, in Texas public schools. So there's, there's, there's all sorts of ways to get to, you know, the support piece without having to directly touch, directly commit the time. Um, and, and of course, you know, I can make some book recommendations yeah. if anybody wants those too. But um, I, I, think, I think anything you can do to, to inform yourself on the what and the purpose, you know, that, that school districts are charged with, um, uh, you know, anything that can give you some insight into what that learning is. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, I think David spoke to this earlier, you know, the role of the parent in this process. You don't have to, you know, just sitting your kid, but like reading at home yeah. with your kid, like that that helps tenfold in, yeah. in terms of reading development in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Everybody, you know, whether you're a parent or whether you're a citizen can, can contribute to the process in one way or another. Perfect. You know, I, I would just add too that, uh, you know, if you don't have time to, to do some of these these other events, going to meetings or, or watching things online, but maybe you just you follow the, the school district on social media, yeah. right? I know I just rallied, uh, ranted against social media there earlier, but, um, you know, follow the school district. Or a lot of times our, our superintendents are on Twitter, right? So follow yeah. the superintendent, see what he or she has to say. Um, you can learn a lot about the school district that way. But, you know, if you have children in the district, I know a lot of times our our many of our teachers are on Twitter. Yeah. And so they'll be posting about things that are going on, kind of a, a lesson, a peek inside the classroom about mm -hmm. uh, some of those exciting lessons that are happening every single day. And so if you're a parent, follow your teacher. And that way, you could, when you pick up your kid from school, you can say, oh, hey, tell me about, because what's the yeah. standard question, right? Hey, what'd you do at school today? Yep. And they'll say, nothing, right? Yeah, even though that we know that they did something. Then we're, we're pretty sure that they did something, right? <laughs> we hope. And so, yeah, we hope. But, um, you follow them on Twitter, and that way you can yeah. have these conversations. But oh, hey, I, I heard you were learning about the life cycle of a chicken, and yeah. whatever it is. And so, tell me about that. And it's like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. So let, let's have this conversation now. You kind of prompt the kid a little bit. And they're like, mm -hmm. okay, wait, how did you how did you know what I was doing yeah. today, right? And so I, I just think that's one way to kind of get a, a little look inside the classroom, and then use that um, to be able to engage with your kid. Perfect. And when you see something good, share. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And then final question on public education. In your guys' opinion, like, what is the potential future ahead for us? Right, We talk about technology and everything else, but what do you think, like, maybe one of the, what is one thing that is, like, the potential future for public ed? Oh, man, this, that's kind of a loaded question. Um, it's hard to put it in a, in a, right. in a succinct thing. Um, you know, Part of what really excites me is, is what we're learning from other people around the world. Mm. You know, I've, I've gotten to travel a little bit and see a lot of that firsthand. And the funny thing that you, the ironic thing that you learn when you, when you go like to Finland or Singapore or South Korea is everything they do is based off of mid 20th century U.S. research. Yeah. Like it's not <laughs> this new fandangled thing. You know? Yeah. Like, it's just that they, they decided they were going to stick to it yep. and, and, and really like fine tune it and tweak it until it really worked for them. Hmm. Um, but what we're starting to see is some of those, some of those things that they're discovering through that process, we're kind of, we're kind of reclaiming over here. You, you see mm. in the headlines things like, um, 
more frequent recess and breaks in schools and how that improves attention and, yeah. and how that you know, improves learning process, you know, that kind of distributed learning piece. Well, that's something that, that we had we had at one point and and you know the researchers in the united states really like said it was vital and then we kind of got away from it because we were chasing the test scores and, yes or we were chasing sputnik at one point you know what i mean it's like this that pendulum swing mm-hmm. a lot of those things are starting to come back and okay. in some ways it's really challenging us because we have this really traditional outlook on the way that school has to function mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of a really liberating thing because it, it's it's getting us back to what we knew, you know, back to the basics in a way, you yeah. know, back to the things that we know really benefit kids. When we're building buildings now, we're making sure that every room has natural daylight. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a novel concept that used to be standard practice. We kind yeah. of got away from it because we were building, you know, buildings that looked kind of like, well, prisons for lack of a better way to put it. But like now we're kind of getting back to, hey, you know, things like that matter. Yeah. Kids being able to see the outdoors and going out into a playground, that's mm-hmm. developmentally appropriate for kids. And and, yep. and we now we now we're figuring out, hey, if we if we break up our math instruction and we don't go beyond forty five minutes and give them a little bit of a break mm-hmm. and they come back in, they're much more productive the next forty five minutes. Those yep. are novel things that we kind of have taken for granted, you know, over the years that but I'm excited to see I'm excited to see some of those things kind of kind of trickle back kind of yeah. trickle back over from across the pond. It's it's kind of exciting for yeah. me. That is really exciting. Just you know, us just kind of going back to the things that we already know yeah. and learning that. I wish I knew <laughs> what the future for public education held. I, I feel like I could make some money from that if I knew the answer. Right. <laughs> um, but I would, you know, I, I think Aaron's spot on there talking about just like intentional design and mm. architecture of schools. And I think that does a number of things. One, you know, this isn't anything new, but, you know, the, the traditional style of sitting in rows of desks really isn't the standard practice anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's about having uh, furniture that's maybe flexible to where you can move it off onto its own, but then you can quickly, uh, they all kind of group up into a little cluster. So you can have yeah. three, four, or five desks kind of push up and in one little pod and then the students can start collaborating. It might be something to where there's um, you know, a, a two classrooms that are next to each other with a, a movable wall in the middle to where all of a sudden the classes are learning on their own and then all of a sudden the teachers lift up the wall and then the classes are interacting and, yeah. and kind of putting these lessons together. And so uh, intentional design and in the architecture is really important and, and you know, Aaron referenced it earlier, but if you go into a school, like just think about like if you go into an office and it's yep. kind of this sad, drab, you know, fluorescent lighting, real low ceilings, cinder block walls, or, mm-hmm. but then you go into another building and it's bright and open and you can yeah see outside. Like what does that do? Not only for just your, uh, your, your senses, but also kind of the pride that you have in that school as well. Yeah. Right? Like you're excited to go to school. You want to go there because it's a, it's an exciting place to learn and grow and maybe not something that just feels kind of heavy and yeah. <laughs> maybe depressing for, for sure for lack of a better word there so um, I think maybe kind of more of that uh, um, intentional design is is, is going to be key as we move forward yeah and I think I think that fits perfectly with that theme that we talked about at the beginning right the how schools are a microcosm for the community around them and when we talk about architecture and everything that's where we're seeing office buildings. Like I know from personal experience, most of my staff or the staff that I work with um, is remote and they're doing their own thing. Our offices are changing, like trying to have those more collaborative spaces. So it makes sense that schools are either starting that or on the same 
um, same wavelength that offices are as well. Yeah, not, not trying to emulate it completely, but maybe trying to to find the style of, of eventually what they'll they'll go work in in the corporate yeah. world. Well, and I think too, it speaks to when, when you have a building that our needs change over time. And what we find is when you have a building built for a specific thing with specific size classrooms and cinder block walls, you lose all the flexibility yeah. in, in, changing, in changing what you need to do. Yeah. You know, we opened a, a new campus this year, last year, that you know every room has the, these, there's huge hallways in the center and, and every room has a, has a removable wall. So mm-hmm. in theory, you can open your whole building into this giant collaborative space. That's awesome. What a, what a freeing opportunity for teachers to be able to, to open that learning up or say I'm, I have two classrooms next door to one another, talk about meeting different students mm-hmm. needs. You know, rather than us spending our whole math lesson in our silo, hey, you're going to take the 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 high half of the kids. I'm going to spend some time working with the kids that need some more support, so yeah. we can really be more intentional about getting kids what they need. I mean, it's like even breaking down you're in this class period versus you're in this class period is becoming a much more flexible. Yeah. Thing. And a lot of that's to do with just how we're approaching building our schools, designing yeah. our schedules. It it I don't know. Well, even the just think about the when we talk about something as simple as like just removing walls, like the only thing limiting teachers now is like your imagination on what kind of lessons you could, you could have at that point. I think that's a, just a, it's a simple, but really interesting concept that we're kind of changing there. I haven't heard of any school kind of doing that before. Removing walls and barriers. Metaphorically. Wow. There you go. Literally. Thank you for but uh, and then one one other thing I want to add one yeah. of the campuses uh, that's in my school district has nature trails in the back of it and it also has a, a pond a yeah. natural uh, pond and so what that allows some of the students to do is they can actually go out if they're studying science they can go out scoop up some water from the yeah. pond then take it back to the microscopes and start studying you know aquatic science r- real world it, it's it's a very different experience yeah. and. And leads to, to greater imagination and exploration for some of these students if they know, you know, hey, I'm I scoop this water myself, and now I'm going to put it under the microscope mm-hmm. rather than just getting a sample that got chipped in from a from a lab from yeah. who knows where, right? Yeah. It kind of just builds these deeper connections, and so I understand that not every single campus can have a outdoor trail or a pond. I mean, that's that's pretty unique, but you know, it, it is about building some of those real world experiences. Oh, sure.